Hello, and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I am your host, Adam Conover, and guess what? This is the podcast version of my TV show, Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, which, by the way, is back with new episodes. You can catch all new episodes every Tuesday on True TV or watch them at truetv.com slash Everything and the Watch True TV app. So, if you've listened before, you might know on this podcast, we take the awesome, incredible expert guests from the TV show, and I bring them into the studio or talk to them remotely over use, crossing the distances using the internet and bringing them right here into the same digital space for a much longer form conversation where I get to ask them all the questions that popped up in my mind when I was talking to them for just 90 seconds on set. So today we are going to talk to Sheriff John Urquhart, who appeared on the Adam Ruins Drugs episode. John is the sheriff of Kings County, Washington. He's worked in law enforcement for 40 years, and he is on the forefront of law enforcement officers speaking up nationally about how the war on drugs has been an abject failure. This is a guy who currently serves protecting the people of his city, and he's like, guys, this war on drugs thing, it's not working out. Which, come on, that is a fascinating point of view. Um, he was incredibly generous to come on our show and talk about it and to come talk about it on the podcast here today. And just a quick note, this episode was recorded before the election. And as you remember, uh, most people thought the election was going to go a little bit differently. So when the subject comes up, just so you guys know, we're not in an alternate reality unless actually wait, we are. Yeah, we're in an alternate reality called the past. So that explains uh, what you're about to hear. I'm so excited for it. Let's just get right to the interview. Sheriff John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Adam. Glad is, to be here. Is it okay to call you Sheriff John? Is yeah, that... that's just fine. <laughs> okay, great. You were very, it was uh, very, very striking to have you on set because everyone was like, everyone working in Hollywood is is sort of perceives themselves as like a hippie dope. And so meeting you, everyone was like, oh, the, you know, the, the chief is here. We got to straighten up. And yes, sir. And then, and you were, but you were so relaxed and, and uh, warm and friendly. We all <laughs> felt a little embarrassed. Well, it's probably always a good idea to straighten up around the sheriff. So... <laughs> They were well advised to do that. <laughs> well, I also love that you did, um, uh, and you had a word for it because because I sort of gave you a note while we were on set. I want you know I want you to speak very authoritatively, and you were like, oh yeah, I'll use my my sheriff voice or whatever. You have some some sort of gear that you slip into in that way, right? It's it's a police voice that we use when we try to control people. Really, what it boils down to. Really, the problem is when you bring that home because it doesn't work so wife on <laughs> so well on the family. <laughs> Can you do the police voice at me real quick? Like, like, tell me something in the police voice. Driver's license and registration, Adam, and I'll be asking you all the questions. Oh, my God. From now on. <laughs> my skin crawled. I was like, I felt, like, literally I, like, slipped into a nightmare of, of oh, no, I'm. I'm... My job here is done. <laughs> Okay, don't do it. Don't do it again, unless the if the interview really starts to go off the rails, uh, pull it back in the, in the right direction for me. But um, well, could you tell us a little bit about what you do in uh, Kings County, which is Seattle, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and and sort of uh, what your what your background is and how how you got there. Well, up in King County in in Seattle, we're a we're a big police department. We're about the thirteenth largest county in the country. Wow. And we're the second largest police agency in the Northwest. Okay. I've got uh, seven hundred cops that uh, work for me. About eleven 1, hundred employees and $175 million a year budget. So we deal with just about everything that any metropolitan police agency would, which includes uh, 
uh, drug crimes. They're a big part. Right. And so you're you're sort of well known as, uh, uh, you know, for your uh, views on on the drug war, correct? Uh, I'd say that's that's probably true. And, and my background comes from a lot of before I became sheriff. A lot of the police work I did was as a undercover narcotics investigator. I was a drug detective. Really? Uh, or as they, they say, a foot soldier in the war on drugs. Got it. So I know a little bit about what I'm talking about from a police perspective at the very least. And so how did you, I mean, like you said, you deal with all the different types of problems that would exist in, in Seattle in terms of policing. So how did you come to see, you know, the drug war specifically as an issue? What, what brought you to that? Well, I think a lot of police executives and, and police officers in general, at least if they, if they stop and think about it for a minute, have realized that the war on drugs, not only has it not worked, more than that, I think it's just been an abject failure. Everything that we thought we were doing, which was controlling supply, controlling demand, putting, putting all these bad guys in jail, we still have the same demand for drugs. We still have the same supply of drugs, oh. albeit they come from different areas in different ways, right. but the money is still there. So really nothing's changed despite spending billions and billions of dollars in the war on drugs and essentially turning Mexico into a narco state for all practical purposes, at least parts of it. You, you think that the war on drugs did that inadvertently? Oh, I think so. That's exactly what's happened. Or wow. Certainly the consumption, the demand side has in the United States, but around the world. Uh, and that's a shame. So we have to do something different because the war didn't work. Right. So so this it was really just a matter of you're doing your job as sheriff and you're looking at the effort you're putting in and, and versus the results and saying, hey, this is the part that this part is crazy. This is what we're trying to do isn't working here. Well, what happened when I became sheriff? Now I have the power to change things. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so you were you were before that a little lower level and you were like, this is crazy. And then you became sheriff and you're like, now I get to do something about it. This is still crazy. <laughs> but now maybe I can do something about it. That's exactly how it happened. That's great. So so I mean, did you have those feelings when when uh, when when you said when you were a narcotics detective, did you did you have that sense or? I think much less so. You know, when, again, when you're a foot soldier like I was, you just you do your job. You know, I'm arresting people. I'm putting them in jail. You know, I, I certainly had the, the realization that I, w- I wasn't changing the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I truly could make neighborhoods better. You know, back then when I was doing this, most of it was, was crack. Meth really hadn't come on the scene yet, but there's a tremendous amount of cocaine. We've always had heroin. That's been there forever. Uh, but I could, I could make individual people's lives better by getting rid of those crack houses. But I wasn't I wasn't solving the drug problem by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when did you come to the realization that the that the whole the whole enterprise was somehow fundamentally flawed? Well, you know, I can't point to a specific date. It's just a realization. It's it's something that kind of dawns on you gradually yeah. that my God, this this ain't this ain't working. <laughs> and I think part of it is the, is the push over the last few years to legalize marijuana, right? Because the arguments have been that we've incarcerated one of the arguments. We've incarcerated an entire generation of people, black people. Right. We put them in jail, and uh, you know, that that has been disastrous. Right. And so for for what's for what's a very minor crime, and and how we talk about, and as we describe in the show, we've you know known or or at least. Uh, serious, important people have known that marijuana isn't really harmful since the 40s or so. Yeah, that, that's basically right. This this was all a gimmick, really, on the, on the part of the federal government. And I think your show pointed out that out very, very well. <laughs> and uh, so it, it, we, we have to change that. And and one of the ways we've done that was, uh, was legalizing marijuana. I supported that in Washington in 2012. And, of course, it passed with, in my county, in King County, 63 percent 
passage rate. Wow. And about 57% statewide. Wow. And now it's on the ballot this year in, at the very least, Maine and Massachusetts, if not other states. Right, and, California and, as well. So we're headed that direction, I think. And right. it, it's still a, a social experiment. You know, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that this is really going to work, mm-hmm. but we have to try something. Right. What, what really galls me is, especially police executives, they will fight, 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 fight to keep marijuana illegal and talk about what a terrible idea this is. Right. And, they, and they talk about the war on drugs. They'll admit it hasn't worked, but they also then advocate for the status quo. So why why do they do that? Like Because I think we've all sort of – it's sort of one of the mysteries to me, you know, that, that – uh, you know, I grew up in Dare, right? Um, and I got all that information. Um, but then you reach a certain point, probably around college, where I realized that, oh, wait, yeah, mar- marijuana is not harmful. I was lied to my whole life. And, you know, me and all my friends were on, yeah, this is a crazy, this is, this is incorrect, right? We all know the truth. And we feel like there's this general sense that most people do know the truth, that there's a couple outliers, you know, who, who maybe, you know, swallowed the Dare line and, and didn't uh, uh, parrot it back. Or there's still some scared, you know, suburbanites somewhere but but for the most part everyone's basically agreed right so where does the psychology come from that causes you know your average uh, guy with whatever medals and stars whatever whatever you know uh, police executives do uh, to maintain that status quo well I don't think everybody does agree I, I still think there are people out there I still think there are police executives the guys with the, with the brass on their collar that still believe that it's a gateway drug uh, they still believe that if we legalize it, it's going to be uh, all the teenagers are going to be using it, that the, the auto crashes are going to go through the roof. They, they do believe that, I think. Some of them do, at least. And the others just don't, haven't thought through and be, been willing to stand up in front and say, out front and say, we need to do something different. We need to try something else. It's, believe me, it's much easier to go with the status quo, even when it's not working. Yeah. Much easier for everybody, but especially for, for people that either have to be elected if they're a sheriff or if they're appointed by the mayor because they're a police chief. Yeah. And they've got to get buy-off from the police chief and the city council to get out in front of this. So I, I think that's part of it. But it's also human nature. Got it. I mean, are you going to get in trouble for saying this to me right now? Like, is Because I, I definitely had that idea when we met you. I was like, wait a second. Is this... You know, we got a we got a a, a law enforcement uh, uh, officer executive who, who's here telling us that the policy is is wrong. That seems a little bit unusual. Are you in a sort of special case that that you're able to do that, or or is, are you lucky in some way to be able to speak in this way? Or well, two things. First of all, ask me again at, tw- at the end of 2017 because I'm up for re-election <laughs> in 2017. Right. So if if uh, next. Uh, November 9th, if I'm out of a job, then we'll know, yeah, I, I should, probably shouldn't have said all this. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, uh, but on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm, this is, this is my, my last hurrah, if you will. I love being sheriff. Uh, when I run next year, I would have been sheriff for five years. Hmm. It's a great job. I don't have any other political aspirations other than be just the best sheriff I can and to do the right thing, to absolutely do the right thing. And sometimes that means speaking out. Uh, and speaking your heart, speaking your mind, and the hell with the consequences. I, I don't worry about that. I never have. Uh, I just I say what I mean. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. <laughs> but oh well. I almost wonder if we're we're on like a TV show about about how share about how like law enforcement's supposed to work. It's just like wonderful to, to hear because we're so not used to hearing that from um, even you know politicians or uh, elected officials or or uh, law enforcement professionals in in any way that you know we sort of have this sense that. Uh, you know the the job sort of prevents you from from thinking uh, 
creatively or questioning things uh, in some way that 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 being a Maybe the person who exercises the authority prevents you from questioning the basis of the authority in some way. I'm not sure. I'm getting a little philosophical. I apologize. No, I think you're probably true. That's just again, <laughs> it, it is human nature. It's, it's how people react. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's me. It's my personality, and that and that's a large part of it. And so far, it's worked. But yeah, again, ask me next year. We'll see. Is it any relation? Because I mean, Seattle's known as a pretty liberal area. Is it because your constituents sort of share the same view? That does that help? Oh, absolutely. That, that's exactly right. You know, I'm a pretty progressive sheriff. I'm probably the, one of the most progressive sheriffs in the country. Mm-hmm. But I'm from a very liberal part of the state. The western part of 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 uh, Washington State is is very liberal, and they they elect Democrats. On my job, my office is nonpartisan, by the way. But they they tend to elect and want liberal, progressive people. Uh, So I fit in fairly well that way. But, uh, you know, if I didn't, uh, I'd still be saying exactly the same things. Yeah, and you're not, you're, and also you're not like, uh, uh, you know, Tommy Chong or whatever. You're like very clearly like a like a mainstream law enforcement officer who you know uh, uh, who has who simply has has this opinion based on your experience. Well, I, I hope I'm not some nut job that you got on here. <laughs> well, are we are we our goal is to not have nut jobs on. Um, so, uh, well, let's talk about the let's talk about the drug war specifically. What do you think is the if you could summarize, you know, what's incorrect about the approach in, in a sentence, what the real nut of it is, what, what is it in your mind? To me, the, the real nut of drug abuse is for so long we've treated as a criminal problem. Mm-hmm. We are going to arrest our way out of that. You can't arrest your way out of any society, any of society's problems. And certainly you can't arrest your way out of illegal, legal or legal or legal, illegal drug use. You can't do it. So that means we have to shift our thinking and look at it as a health problem. Mm. That's really the issue. And put all those dollars that we used to invest in the war on drugs, put them towards getting people well. And that's that's the key. We've got to do that. And we're, we're certainly starting to go that way. But it's going to be a long haul. And and that's because you would, uh, to you, the, the, the problem with drugs is, is addiction, which you would classify as a health issue. Is that correct? I think it's a health issue. That's exactly right. The addiction is a health issue. You know, we talk about the very illicit drugs being a a, a health issue, yes, but also the, the prescription drugs that get abused. Right. That, uh, you know, mom in the, in, the, uh, in the suburbs has that extra uh, dose of oxy that we've talked about. Right. And, and that's a health issue as well. But it doesn't have the stigma. That particular addiction doesn't have the stigma of some guy in an alley shoot with a dirty needle shooting up heroin. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even if, you know, someone finds out it's it's more like, oh, what a shame, you know, that that would happen to Sally. You know, not not like, oh, what a criminal or what a deviant. It's more, oh, that could happen to anybody. And hey, it happened to Rush Limbaugh. Right. It could happen to you, too. Or or there, there's a there's a totally different attitude put to it. Totally different attitude when it's a soccer mom than it's when some guy lying in an alley. But it's really, the, in your mind, the, the same problem that's causing both. It's the same sort of... It, it's exactly the same problem. It's something going on in their life or in their mind that's got them to that point. And we, we need to treat that. We need to treat that addiction, not arrest that addiction. Right. My, one of the assertions we make on the show, and this is where I'm sort of like, oh, tell me if you agree with, with what we say on the show, because I, I, I hope we got it right, you know, but is that... Uh, to me, it, it always felt like growing up that the focus was to end drug use, that to, to get it to sort of, you know, get us to like an abstinent society um, uh, in, and we want to eradicate it. And our sort of conclusion after all of our reading is that that's 
functionally impossible, that, that addiction is, is simply part of human nature. Some people will become addicted to things um, and that, you know, there are ones that are manageable and there are ones that are worse than others and that the real focus should be on treating those people and, and helping those people when they when they get into a bad way with it. Does that sound right to you or? How'd that whole prohibition thing work in the 30s? Exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we prohibited <laughs> alcohol. It didn't stop people from drinking. Right. And drugs are exactly the same way. We're never going to get rid of all the illicit drug use. Uh, in in the country, it's just it's just not going to happen. So we we have to get over that hump first, and then figure out how we can reduce it. It's all about harm reduction. How do how do we reduce the harm to people that drugs cause? Right. So how how have you taken that approach uh, in uh, Seattle so far? Well, one of the things that's going on in Seattle, and it's it's highly controversial, uh, is uh, safe injection sites. Okay. They've been up in Vancouver, Canada for about eight years. Right. We featured Insight on the show. Right. Yeah. A very good group. I met with them. I haven't quite got up to Vancouver yet. I want to see how they work in, perfect, in mm-hmm. person. But then, as everybody asked me, well, Sheriff, what do you think about safe injection sites? And that's where I stop, and I take a really deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I've been a cop for 40 years. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, we are talking about about having a place to go that's, mm-hmm. that's the drugs aren't provided by the government, they're certainly sanctioned by the government, to go in and, and shoot up heroin or to use meth or to use crack, your drug of choice, uh, without getting arrested. I mean, that's a huge leap for me as a police officer, but it's also a huge leap for society in general, I think. They've got to, ra- in this country at least, they've got to wrap their head around that whole big idea. I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm, but I'm certainly open-minded about it. Right. Uh, the the uh, local newspaper in Seattle, the Seattle Times, really a pretty conservative newspaper in general, has editorialized in favor of really? safe injection sites. I was floored. Knocked me over with a feather. The mayor, a, a very liberal progressive mayor, is openly in favor of it. But I'm still I'm still on the fence somewhat. What I have said, however, is uh, that my deputies will not arrest anyone that's going or coming from a safe injection site if they ever come to pass. Got it. So uh, that that's kind of my middle ground. Mm-hmm. And now if they're 10 miles away and they say that's where they're going, no. But if they, <laughs> if they, if they catch them walking out the door or down the block, coming or going, no, we're not going to arrest them. Right. So, uh, but... Uh, uh What's the barrier that, that prevents you from getting all the way there? Is it, is it just because you, you think it's, it sort of feels like a very large change? or I think so. I mean, yeah. you're asking me to throw out my belief system mm-hmm. that I already partially have, obviously, that goes back a long, long, long time. It's, sure. just, it's just a tough hump to get over. And it's not just me. I think it's society in general. I mean, it, it, you talk about that, and I talk about it a lot at, the, at various speaking events that I go to, Rotaries and wherever I go, and it almost sucks the air out of the room. When you bring that up, you know, people, yeah. oh, are you are you kidding me? And so uh, they, I, they have to get past it. And, yeah, it's and, a strange it's a strange image because it's something that we have had in this country The you know, the drugs as evil, you know, uh, villains for so many decades. Certainly I was brought up in the in the middle of it. And then so then to say, oh, yeah, we're going to have this have this place where it where it goes on. It, it certainly seems shocking. But then when you look at the fact that. You know, as we say on the show, uh, across all safe injection sites worldwide, no one has ever died in one of them because of the care they've got. Now, God forbid anybody ever does, but but still, even if one person does next week, that's that's an incredible track record. What it does is it gets them out of the alleys. Yes. It gets them out of the doorways. It gets them to, to where there, there's a good uh, a needle, uh, safe needles, and it gets them to a spot where they can hopefully get the take advantage of services. When somebody is there and somebody will be there, 
to get them to services, whether it's mental health services or the drug services that they need. That's really the critical aspect is, is tying those two things together that you can do at a safe injection site. But the, the downside is, okay, where are you going to put it? You know, in, in your neighborhood, in the, in the vacant lot next door to your house? Sure. You know, that's that's part of the problem. Well, that's a problem with almost all social issues, right? I mean, we, we had uh, a, uh, you know, a few episodes ago, we were talking about housing first approach to homelessness with uh, uh, some folks from Housing Works here in L.A., and, and we didn't get into that part of it. But I think, you know, California currently has, actually, by the time this airs, uh, the the proposition will have, will have either passed or failed to um, uh, fund a lot of, you know, uh, permanent housing for uh, the homeless in California. I'm sure that will be an issue. You know, where do you put it? But the but that always seems like a, uh, you know, the kind of issue. Well, let's just try to solve that. Like some people need to suck it up and, and deal with it because this is a problem we need to solve. And people need to stop worrying about their property values a little bit too much. You know, and, but. and that's not realistic. You know, <laughs> y- 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 OK, that's that, fair. That just doesn't pass either. Pass muster. Now, the other thing I want to talk about, another thing we're doing in Seattle Please. that's really unique. It's called LEAD, Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. Yes. And remember I talked about we, we find somebody with drugs on them, illegal drugs, heroin or cocaine. And the first thing we do as police officers, we haul them off to jail. And it's a, it's a simple possession charge. They're, probably, they're not going to do any jail time. They'll spend the night in jail. But, my God, we've solved the problem for the night. And that's true. But it doesn't make them any better. So there was a group in Seattle that got together with the, the Ford Foundation uh, and got $500,000 to get them into treatment immediately. So now my deputies, and we've partnered with the Seattle Police Department, so both agencies are doing this, and we actually work in downtown Seattle right next to them on, uh, on various things. We, take, we can take somebody that's amenable to this treatment that wants to go, and we can take them straight to a, a, a treatment provider 24 hours a day right then. Uh, and uh, it's, it's been studied by the University of Washington. The program has been going for about three years now. Uh, and the success rate is really phenomenal. It, it does work. And now it's spreading all across the country. But, again, it's changing that mindset that we shouldn't arrest everybody and just throw them into jail and think that that's going to make a difference. But lead does make a difference. That's uh, that's really fascinating. Um, do you see law enforcement in you know less progressive bastions <laughs> uh, make it, you know moving on this issue as well? Is this something that other law enforcement executives are figuring out? Or oh, I think so. Other if the law enforcement executives aren't, the cities are. We've had people come uh, and visit our program literally from all over the world, all over the world, and all over the United States, obviously. And it's it's. Typically not the police chief that comes to visit. It's the city manager or the mayor or the city council or nonprofit groups that are really pushing this. And obviously they have to get the police on board. Uh, and we've done a real good job of it with, this, with uh, the King County Sheriff's Office as well as the Seattle Police Department. But not every, not every cop believes in it. But they're doing it and they've been astounded by the success. Hey, I'm talking to Sheriff John Urquhart of Kings County, Washington. We'll be back in just a moment, so stick around. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm Danielle Radford. I am Michael Eagle. And we are the hosts of Tights and Fights, Maximum Fun's newest podcast dedicated to all things wrestling. We'll be talking about Sasha Banks, the women's revolution, Sasha Banks, the brand split, and Sasha Banks' wigs. And we'll also be talking about wrestler fashion. Some wrestlers wear too many clothes. Some wrestlers don't wear enough clothes at all. And I'll be doing impressions of all your favorite wrestlers. New episodes Thursdays on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah, dig it. Tyson and Bites Podcast. Tyson Bites. 
Welcome back to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm here talking to Sheriff John Urquhart, who appeared on the drugs episode of Adam Ruins Everything. Um, so you made reference at the beginning to uh, sort of what's happened nationally in terms of, like, turning Mexico into a narco state and, and all that kind of thing. What, what have been the... Uh, what have the consequences of the war on drugs been in your mind? Well, I think the fact that what's happened in Mexico is the prime example. Certainly Colombia as well for a long period of time. They've got it more under control. But Mexico is, is – parts of Mexico are basically a narco state where the, where the drug dealers are running the country. And uh, innocent people uh, as well as not so innocent people. But, you know, tens of thousands of people are dying or being murdered down there because of uh, the U.S.'s addiction to drugs in the United States but around the world as well. Uh, and that's that's just the, one of the side avenues of this whole drug issue. It's 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 one thing just to talk about the the addict that that is addicted to it and the health problems that causes, but all the way down the line, what's going on is is just horrific, really. And how how has uh, our our enforcement of uh, or or you know. Uh, not ideal enforcement of, of uh, drug policy caused that. I mean, maybe that's too broad for you. I know you're you're just uh, you're in charge of Seattle, but you you intrigued me with the idea. So. I'm just a I'm just a local sheriff. Adam, come on. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it's it's just such an interesting question because you know, to me, it was again when I was raised in the in the early '90s. Uh, well, you know, I was born in the early '80s, but yeah, I was sort of became conscious in the late early '90s, right? It was such like a foundational part of my education. You know, it was it was just permeated the air. You know, the the anti drug stuff, um, and it, it Dare was a prime example. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was in, mm-hmm. I was in the Dare program. I remember, I got a Dare bumper sticker. I put it on my parents' car. <laughs> you know, I was like, I want to. Uh, you know, I was I I bought it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so it was such a shock to realize that it was like something that culturally we had we had gotten completely incorrect. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Do you have any? And I'm going to ask you to do a little armchair philosophizing here. But what is it about drugs specifically that caused that overreaction in you know America's law enforcement and policymakers over the course of decades? I mean, there's other other problems that are equally as bad and detrimental in society that we didn't we don't we haven't freaked out about in the same way. You know. I think history has shown us what the federal government did, and, and you covered it on your show, what Nixon did, is really they villainized drugs. They, they villainized marijuana in particular and everything mm-hmm. else uh, sprang out of that. You don't need to do that. Drugs are a villain in, in and of themselves that have to be dealt with. It's just a question of how do we deal with them in the right way. And as with marijuana, like I said, we arrested all those people and threw them in jail for a relatively minor drug that that it, it certainly has less consequences uh, to society than alcohol does. I don't think there's any question about that. Absolutely, in terms of deaths or anything else. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and lives destroyed and so on and so forth. But, but the federal government in particular villainized drugs. And that's everything, I think, sprung from that. The war on drugs, all the money that went to it. The seizure of property that went to it that I was a part of, uh, and you know all of that, all of that. Man, it's really uh, yeah, it's just such a stunning, <laughs> a stunning century-wide error. I mean, I, I'm sort of fascinated by the things in our society that you know. Wow, people from a, people a hundred years from now will say uh, what a huge error that was. This is the war on drugs really is. I mean, we, you just made fun of Prohibition earlier, and everybody makes fun of it. And Prohibition is something we make fun of regularly on the show. You know, whenever we're doing anything in the 30s, we do a joke about how dumb Prohibition was because, it, you know, there isn't a man uh, or woman alive who would say, hey, Prohibition worked, you know, that it was a good idea. Or it was a good idea. Yes. You know, exactly. And the war on drugs is it, – it really – 50 years from now, it will be another prohibition in that way. They're going to they're gonna be saying, what the hell were you thinking? 
that's how I look at it. Yeah. But uh, what also kind of what fascinates me about this whole drug issue is is how it evolves. And as you know, heroin is a huge deal across the country. I mean, opioid addiction is like it's never been before. Right. Uh, and that, at least a certain extent of that, is coming down from the prescription drugs, the Oxycontin, Oxycodone, that, that there's been overprescribed, not controlled enough. People got hooked on it, then they can't afford it, and they've gone to heroin. Right. But the other thing that's so interesting to me about this, all the talk about the heroin, you know, I've, I've been back east, I've been to the, to the, the White House to talk about uh, heroin addiction and how we're going to fight it and all those kind of things. It's a huge deal. But we've always had heroin. You know, we have always had heroin in society to one extent or another. For example, Ray Charles, famous singer. Right. Famous singer. Arrested in Seattle in the 50s for <laughs> possession of heroin. Yeah. So it's been around a long time. But what's happened is now it's in the suburbs. Yes. It used to be just in the center part of the city. Right. If you if you understand where I'm going with this. I understand this. where you're going with but it. But now, now it's in white America. Yes. And so it's a huge problem now and that we are, you know, I'm equipping all of my deputies eventually. I'll have all of them equipped with Narcan, which will reduce. What's Narcan? Narcan reduces a heroin overdose almost immediately. Oh, it's a, it's a drug? Or it's, it's, a, it's a medication? It's a medication that used to, the fire department used to just have it. And they'd come on the scene if we had a heroin overdose. We'd call for the fire department. It was an ejection. Now it's a nasal nasal shot that you can put in there. So all of my deputies uh, will have it. Most of the Seattle Police Department will have it uh, all across the country because heroin is so prevalent. And we can keep people from dying or we can reduce that overdose that they're, they're suffering from by that. I never in my wildest dreams thought that police officers would be reducing heroin overdoses <laughs> themselves. They would be by, treating it. Uh, treating it by carrying, yes. by carrying the, 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 uh, the item in their, their shirt true. pocket. The very least you said they would call an EMT or something like that, but they're just going to do it themselves. Exactly. We do it ourselves. And, and my deputies have already done it several times. So l- let me ask you this. I mean, we, we talk about on the show, uh, as you say, the profound irony that while we were you know, portraying marijuana as a gateway drug, the real gateway drug was in our uh, cabinets. In our medicine cabinets. In our medicine yeah. cabinets. Prescribed. And, yeah. And then it's resulted in this huge uh, upsurge in heroin because the, all those people are chased to heroin. And then those people as well are, you know, and then the uh, fentanyl as well came from, uh, I believe, the pharmaceutical industry. Yep. Um, and now it's resulting in even more deaths because I believe it's even cheaper than uh, – than, or it's often replacing heroin. In, in, or in or heroin's being, being cut with it and it's, it's, it's so much more potent than heroin ever was. So it kills people right. very, very quickly. So now that's a state of affairs that it seems like the war on drugs partially created um, by uh, by you know focusing on the wrong parts of the problem, throwing the wrong people in jail, you know, mis- mismanaging the issue. But so, all right, now we're starting fresh. We've got a heroin epidemic, right? We know that the war on drugs is a failure. There are people who are who are dying of heroin. Uh, how do we then address <laughs> the heroin epidemic? And it's all well and good to say, well, we have to focus on treatment, right? I, I agree with you on the philosophy of that, but um, uh, yeah, what, what do we actually do? Do <laughs> Adam, you, Adam, you're you're just ignoring the you're you're trying to soft pedal the elephant in the room, which is why don't we just legalize all drugs oh. and solve all this? <laughs> right? Is, is... Maybe you didn't know you were, but that's that's where you're <laughs> headed on this conversation. Interesting. And 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 my take always is. Okay, that's happened in some countries, Portugal for one, mm-hmm. um, and it's. I, I think it's worked in Portugal. Will it work in the in the United States? Maybe, but clearly the citizens of the United States are not ready for that. Yeah, you know, you think you think uh, safe injection sites get a reaction. You talk about legalizing 
heroin or, or meth or cocaine or any of that, and it just people are off the chart. We're not ready for that as a society. So I'm, I'm not going to promote it. I'm not in favor of it right now. Uh, it, it's, it's certainly something that, you know, in 20 years or 50 years, that may be where we end up. But we're not ready for it yet. Well, I'll be honest. I was I was definitely interested in your answer to that question. And that's a question I've asked myself in the past. And, and I, I would agree. I mean, you know, all power to, uh, you know, the libertarians who, who want to uh, legalize everything. And I think there are certainly arguments for that if you – I think I probably agree with you – if you already have the cultural norms and the, and the institutions in place that will help, you know, help those people. Let's legalize everything if we have a mechanism to get those folks that are, you know, addicted to the worst forms of drugs to – to stop them from dying and to make sure their their lives are not going to be destroyed beyond dying to make sure that they're um you know uh that that they're not doing harm to themselves and and worsening the quality of their lives as a result but no I'm, i i actually was genuinely genuinely interested in the answer to the question like the the uh the heroin epidemic and the the opioid epidemic is um uh such a you know such a clear and present social problem um you know, while while sort of abandoning the the war on drugs modality, what can we do? You know? Well, I still think, and don't get me wrong, I still think we need to make arrests. And my deputies uh, and detectives do make arrests probably daily for illegal drugs or they they're found on somebody. Illegal marijuana grows that are clearly illegal under state law. Transporting drugs, all those types of things, we still do that, and I think we still need to do that. We we, we still have a criminal element that are involved in the drug trade. And, and we're going to keep enforcing those. I think it's more a question of how we phrase this. Uh, and anytime you call a war on, everyth- on anything, I think it's, you're asking for trouble. The war on Christmas, the war on women, <laughs> the war on drugs, the war on poverty, the war on inflation. We haven't so- none of those have worked. We sh- <laughs> yeah, women we, are still around. And we still have Christmas. <laughs> Thank you, Bill O'Reilly. It's still there. <laughs> So, so it's a lot of it's just how we how we right. phrase it again, whether we villainize it or not. The 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 resources we put towards it, and again, a lot of those resources need to be shifted over away from police departments and shifted into into health treatment. So, Got it. So, would you actually take would you actually take money out of your own pocket as a sheriff and give it over to uh, health treatment? Or if the county council who controls my budget wanted to cut my budget to, and sincerely and and traceably. Put it into treatment. Absolutely, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. That's because fair. that that makes society better, and that's what what we are. The, what the police department is all about, and me in particular. <laughs> and you're okay with them hearing this in in Seattle? They might do it. They'll never hear it. <laughs> County council's not going to listen to your blog. <laughs> it's a so pod, uh, It's a podcast, sheriff. Well, I don't know this stuff. <laughs> That's totally fine. That's, that's very funny. <laughs> Man, I just got burned by the sheriff. They don't care about your blog. They don't. They don't care about your web series or your e-zine <laughs> or the Google. Or the Google. Um, it does. It seems like though. I am a little bit astonished um, uh, about the speed at which uh, our our cultural opinion of marijuana, at the very least, has changed in America. That you know, it was one of the one of the two issues growing up. You know, uh, when I was grow- growing up on Long Island, and then uh, went to uh, uh, you know went to college, it seemed like the two things that everyone in America, you know, that Amer- American society was wrong about and would never get fixed were um, uh, were gay rights and marijuana being illegal. Right? That's every every uh, kid in their dorm room is like, what's the deal with these two things? And it seemed like we would never 
make any progress. And then, uh, and usually Pink Floyd is playing in the background. <laughs> yes, when they're talking about that. Yes, exactly. Right, exactly. Like, hey, why, why are some things illegal? Some things aren't illegal, man. Oh, you know, you're reading High Times magazine and stuff. Um, uh, now, I don't want to downplay the importance of of gay rights at all uh, by saying that it's just a stoner issue. It's obviously not. But uh, you know, I was stunned by the speed at which uh, gay rights became a. Uh, the, just how much the mainstream of America flipped. And it seems like the same thing is about to happen with marijuana that, that you know, at first it was, you know, one state. What was the first state? Was it Massachusetts? I forget. Had, or, Not Massachusetts. Uh, it, gosh, I don't know. I think the, the true legalized were Colorado and Washington the same okay. year. True, I, uh, decriminalization is one thing. Legal, legalization is another. Got it. So Well, and then there's, then there's sort of California's weird hybrid approach. There's the medical marijuana. It's been around in many states for really quite some time. Yes. It just never worked very well when you, when you get right down to it. Well, in California, but, it's it's basically a fig leaf on legalizing marijuana. It's the it's it, which is I always thought of a very strange and interesting approach that it that it's, you know, I remember when it was uh, when that took effect and my friends in California would be like, you know, we got the word in New York that like, oh yeah, you just go to this doctor, they ask you no question. And we're like, "What? They do? Uh, doctors are doing this and the state is okay with it?" And it's like, you go, you know, you go down to like uh, uh Dr. 420 on on uh, you know, the boardwalk at the beach and and they just they just you know they they give you your medical card like yeah I guess so it was pretty much a scam yeah. let's face it <laughs> that whole medical marijuana thing was always a scam although there well, are there are people that were that really I think did get a, a true health benefit from yes. it there's no question about that yeah so and, I don't mean to denigrate a, there a scam a scam in the interests of of good of you know like exactly. like stopping a problem awful right lot, or, awful lot of stoners you know <laughs> didn't have glaucoma after all. <laughs> Well, but, but you know, you talk about that this is gay rights or, or marriage equality happened fast. I, I will disagree with you there. I mm. think I think it went it really took a long time, uh, and in the scheme of things, especially if you're gay, if somebody who's gay doesn't, don't, they're not going to tell you it happened very quickly. That's a very good point, you know? and, and it might have been it might have just been quick between my awareness of it uh, of the issue, and there were people working on it before I even was aware of the issue, and then from my perspective, happened in under ten years. But they were like, that's "Hey, right. we've been working on this since the seventies. I think that's probably true. I think that's very that's good point. More or less true with with marijuana and i look at it from the standpoint i talk about this fairly often because i've been around a long time and i I look at the impatience that i tend to have just in general i drive my staff crazy because i want things done now and the government that doesn't happen but in my lifetime we've got legalized marijuana we've got marriage equality we've got a black president we're going to have a woman president here in a couple more weeks you know that's huge i thought i personally i didn't think any of those things would happen while i was still alive but all four of them have. Absolutely. That, 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 so from that standpoint, it has happened quickly, all four of those. And, and that's just, to me, that's just amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And it certainly gives me, uh, makes me optimistic for the human condition and that we can <laughs> solve this, this horrible, horrible problem of drug addiction. So that was, yeah, that was what I was getting to. Do you do, you, you do see the sort of speed with which, uh, for instance, ma- marijuana and these other issues have, have happened quickly as being like maybe we can sort of turn around on the, on the drug war, maybe the tide is turning? I think so. I think the tide is turning. You know, we got the federal government to back off. They were, they were pretty much shaking their fist at their finger at, at both at Washington and Colorado in 2012. Saying, right. Don't you do this. Don't you do this. Right. You know, kind, of, the... kind of like talking to a kid, you know, don't take that next step. Don't do, you know, you're, I'm going to turn this car around. Yeah. And they never turned the car around. <laughs> you know, they, it's still illegal under federal law. I still can't, I still won't hire anybody that smoked marijuana within the last year as a police officer. Really? And you can't smoke as a police officer working for me despite my views on it, because it's against federal law and we cannot violate the law. Yes. So the, the federal <laughs> government still has to be kind of pulled along. They're not there yet. 
and we'll see how that works out. Yeah, it's so interesting how how long it takes to to move the boat. I, I remember. Uh, you know, when uh, when that legalization first occurred, that it was a matter of, you know, that there were still the federal government was still doing busts of some sort in, in states where it was legal or, or there were issues like that. And, and there's still the issue of, I believe, businesses in those states being able to actually conduct business because they're not, uh, you know, certain national federal. The federal government will not let banks. That's it. It will not let banks be involved in the marijuana business. So essentially, it's a cash business, which is absolutely <laughs> patently ridiculous because yeah. there's too much cash. <laughs> yeah. And if you, anytime you have a cash business, just ask Al Capone. Yeah. Anytime you have a cash business, there, there's too much chance yeah. for organized crime, for graft, for skimming. You're not getting all the taxes you should be getting out of it. Right. That's just the way it works. You've got you've got a guy going like, hey, I'm trying to go legit here, and you guys are making me store bundles of cash in a safe where I can get robbed like I'm on the wire or something. And, and in Washington, we have we have. Mar- Marijuana dealers come into the Department of Revenue paying, basically paying their taxes in 20s and 100s in cash. Big, huge stacks to them. And, of course, they leave themselves open for robbery. Yeah. And, and that is my issue. You know, I'm the one that has to deal with that. Uh, so that's got to get fixed. I mean, the, the federal government, I think, is, is pouting right now. I, I really think they're pouting and they're refusing to make this really simple change in the banking laws to get that the public has already decided this is what we want. Every single state that has legalized marijuana People voted for it. Yes. People voted for it. And we can't forget that. You know, it, it's government employees too often say, I know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. We're the cops and you're not. Don't tell me how, how to do my job is a, is a real problem with police agencies in general. Yeah. We have to listen to the people. That's such an interesting, and it just brings back to my question earlier about about you know why the why the reticence or the or the thing to maintain the status quo. And so often it almost feels like folks in positions of power or these entrenched sort of bureaucracies. It almost seems like it's a matter of ego. It's like we don't want to admit that we were wrong, and we don't want to. Uh, and, it, and it's literally you just imagine some some hard ass behind a desk going like, no, 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 it's a gateway drug, you know. Um, oh, that's exactly right. It's, it's <laughs> ego. It's ego. And a lot of police departments they they survive. On a seizure, seizure money. Yeah. And so that's part of it, I think, as well. And that's just wrong. So. <laughs> well, let me ask you, as long as we're here, there are um, obviously a a whole lot of uh, other issues uh, in the news right now about, uh, you know, Amer- America's police departments and their interactions with the uh, citizens who they police, um, uh, you know, police violence against minorities and, and uh, body cameras and things like that. And, and I'm just curious if you have any particular views on those on those topics. No. <laughs> that is a perfect. That's a very politic answer. <laughs> of course, of course, I do. We, <laughs> okay, I thought you were. I was like, well, he'll go out on a limb for drugs, but he does not want to touch the rest of this stuff. <laughs> we we can't be successful as a no no police agency will be successful in this day and age unless they are a reflection of the community, and by that I mean they have to look like the community. Ah, and most police departments, including my own, look just like me. Yeah, they're not quite as old. They're not wrinkled, and they got hair, and it's not gray. But they're male. They are yes. white, white male dominant, dominated. You know, in in, in my police department, I'm about four percent African American. King County is about seven percent, so we're down. Mm-hmm. We're about uh, I think something like twelve or thirteen percent female. Obviously, we should be fifty fifty. Yes. So, a big thing that I do daily is I try to figure out, okay, how can I make my police department more diverse because if I do, I will be more successful. I'll have a better chance to solve crimes because people will not be afraid to come and talk to me. And we will certainly have better acceptance in the community when the community can see themselves in the, in their police department. 
That's so. a one, I mean that I I love that point of view and that is that that does seem like that does seem like something that would that would be at least a way of addressing that root problem. Uh, off the topic of drugs or anything, this is a general question I have about the police in general. I've noticed that, and this is this comes from me uh, living in New York for for most of my life, where the um, you know the uh, police department, the police unions are very strong, and um, the sort of uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the the solidarity between the policemen is very strong, and it seems like. Uh, it seems like that's so often a problem for the city, right? Like when I hear about, you know, Bill de Blasio, uh, uh, the police officers turn their back on him or they refuse to follow an order. The, you know, the head of the police union says, we might refuse to follow this order, uh, yada, yada. And he's like, I'm just trying to manage my goddamn police department. But, uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, um, mayors could lose the support of the police officers and that kind of thing always struck me as very counterintuitive. But on the other hand, I, I understand the, you know, the danger of the job and, and, the, and the solidarity that it would breed, right? Well, I think there, there's solidarity in any profession. You yes. Know, f- firefighters stick together. Lawyers stick together. Doctors stick together. Right. Uh, certainly police officers do as well. The criticism I often hear all the time, and you, you alluded to it here, is unions are too strong. Police unions are just too strong. Well, that may be true. If it's true, let's, for the sake of argument, let's say they have too much power. They're too strong. How did that happen? They didn't steal it. They didn't <laughs> buy it. Incompetent management gave it to them, mm, right? Yes. These are all negotiated contracts. Yes. These are all negotiated contracts. And if the pendulum has swung, in some places it probably has, too far towards the union, that's not the union's fault. The unions have a job. This country, this country was built on union workers. Yeah. Let's not forget that. The middle class became the middle class because of unions. Yeah. And they, they are incredibly important in society. They're incredibly important in government work, I think. And again, if there's any criticism, we shouldn't be criticizing the unions. They're just doing what they need to do to protect their members. We need to criticize management for letting them get that extra power, if that's true. Now, the person you talk about that said, I'd love to have him in my department. I'm not going to take I'm not going to follow that order. Okay, (laughs) you're out on your ass then. I'd fire you. I would fire you in a heartbeat. And I don't care if you're the union president or not. So that's, that's great. That's, that's nothing. You, you gotta know. go. You gotta go walk, work for Bill De Blasio then, because he's got some. He's got some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming in, thank Sheriff. You, Adam. It's uh, uh, really wonderful to you know it. It hits for, like I said, as a you know, as a former uh, college stoner who's who's afraid of the police. It's so wonderful to hear a man with that authoritative, uh, uh, you know, mainstream uh, American police voice talk on these issues is uh, is so it's so rewarding. It's like, oh, what's what's wonderful about this issue is that in some ways it really is true that like the that High Times magazine and the stoners were right. You know, when when we were in our dorm is going, hey, why are some drugs illegal? Some drugs aren't illegal. That seems kind of arbitrary, man. We were kind of right about that. Yeah, you right. You actually were. I'm sure. Adam, yes. I'm, I'm sure you never inhaled, but <laughs> nevertheless, you were right. Oh, I love it. I love it. You hear that? We're vindicated. We're vindicated. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Sheriff. Thank I you, really Adam. Appreciate glad, it. glad to be here anytime. Thank you so much. Well, thank you one more time to Sheriff John Urquhart for coming in to talk to us about this issue. Look, it's honestly such a rare gift to get to talk to an elected public official who will speak truth about this kind of topic in this way. It's uh, such a gift to have him here, and I can't thank him enough. And that is it for Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast this week. We will be back in two weeks. Just two weeks from now, just 14 days, so please tune in then. Our producer is Sharon Morris, and little fun fact about Sharon Morris, when I was in the booth a second ago, I was humming to myself the theme song from Super Mario 64. You guys know this song. 
You guys know this song, right? Shara heard me say that and said, oh, is that Steely Dan? Come on, Shara. She's a great podcast producer, but not so good on the on the video game music front. That's fine. That's my thing. That's not even what this podcast is about. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend or subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe, please. I mean, you don't have to do it, but if you like the show and you want to tell more people about it, uh, you know, that's that's a great way to do it. You can also tweet at me at, at Adam Conover. Again, Adam Ruins Everything. The TV show is back with new episodes every Every Tuesday, and you can find clips and full episodes at TrueTV.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app. Until then, we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.